But let's just uh, jump right in, Brother Ron. You could begin uh, now. Okay. Uh, is it okay if I don't jump? I'll just <laughs> move right in. You can sit right in there. Uh, I'm so glad I enjoyed that that song. I honestly don't remember it, but it's a perfect match for the opening word. Now some uh, some fellowship concerning the general subject. And there's a reason, a twofold reason actually, that I want to give this brief uh, opening word about this. Long before an event like this, I just begin to wait on the Lord to honor the Father as the source of everything, the unique source. Lord, what should be the subject? And then it became clear it's the good land typifying the all-inclusive Christ. But then the burden developed and the leading became more specific. And I remember, this was helpful to me for remembering the title of a book containing messages Brother Lee gave in Malaysia, maybe 40 years ago. And the book title is A Deeper Study of the Divine Dispensing. Well, I'm not trying to imitate Brother Lee. I'm certainly not trying to do something on the same level as he. But this rang a chord in me. That there's the need in the body, whether most members realize it or not, for a deeper understanding of Christ as the good land. So I considered the general subject would be a deeper study of the good land. But then something else emerged from the spirit, I believe. And that is this expression used at least 20 times by God. Okay, by God. When he's using an expression 20 times, there must be a reason. And the expression is a land flowing with milk and honey. And so the general subject is the good land, the land of Canaan, typifying the all-inclusive Christ. But there's a particular burden. It comes early in message two. The second half of message two will lead us into the meaning of milk and honey, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe this will be a, a pleasant surprise. For you, I believe it will be a supply. Now concerning this thought of a deeper study of the good land, the land of Canaan, 
and we are all clear, we're not talking about geography or geology or merely history, but that is the outstanding type, the most all-inclusive type of Christ. But as I was, again, opening to the Lord, little by little being led, I began to realize something. Those words in Deuteronomy 8 about the rich products and the good land, that's not the beginning. The Lord had much to say concerning land prior to that. And that's why we'll come back to this shortly. Uh, But we need to begin with Genesis 1. What the dry land signifies. Because without God dealing with Satan and his rebellion and the death waters that covered the entire earth, you would have no way to fulfill his purpose on the earth. He created the earth as the location for him to fulfill his eternal purpose. And so we will have in message one, a section on the dry land, which brings us into knowing Christ in a broader way as typified by the dry land and then the good land. And then later in Genesis, not too far in, starting with chapter 12, God called Abraham out of one country, said, I'm bringing you to another land. And your descendants will inherit this land. And we'll see in message three, message two will give us a view of the riches of the good land. And as I mentioned, the meaning of a land flowing with milk and honey. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 a deep chapter. And it was very significant how God carried out that covenant. And he told Abraham, your descendants, your seed, will spend hundreds of years in Egypt. Then we know from Genesis, when the time was right, and when Moses was ready, The Lord, based upon his redemption, he brought them out of one land, Egypt, led them through the wilderness. The goal is the good land. But then this will bring us to message four, where we'll see that Christ himself is leading us into himself as the good land. And we need this in our daily experience because we may not know what to do and how to enter and how to be. But he is the angel sent from God, the angel of Jehovah, bringing us into himself 
But then he needs some companions like Joshua and especially Caleb to carry this out. Then in message five, we will consider in a fresh way the threefold significance, spiritually speaking, of all the pagan tribes that were occupying the land promised to us and in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Then this will bring us to the final message. And I'd like to put this thought into you now. That message will be on laboring on the good land, laboring. And so this is not a training. This is a a kind of warm-hearted, big family conference. And that's why when I go up on the view, I change what's on the screen. I don't want to be looking at my face filling up the whole screen. I'd like to see some saints. And so, it's so glad to see some of you there. I see a number of uh, names, but I know you're there behind the name. So let me ask you this. What does it mean to labor on the good land, the all-inclusive Christ? I wish there were a time. Maybe it'll come up in the next itero. I would like to ask all the co-workers and all the elders and leading brothers a simple question, and you must answer with one rather short sentence. What does it mean to labor, labor on the good land? And then we will see what that is. You'll have to come back on your Monday. Just spend part of that time, the holiday, spend two hours with us in the meeting. And then you will learn something and you will have some practical guidance. And then you will see something of utmost importance concerning the nature the content, the character of all church meetings. And so I think it's reasonable to say this is at least somewhat of a deeper, more thorough study from the word of the good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, but once you take in that milk and honey in message two, you're going to sense a very sweet and delightful and encouraging development inside of you. How do I know? Because that's what happened to me a little bit while I was studying, a little more when I was composing, and much more when I was speaking. But we have to start with message one on Christ typified by the dry land, as opposed to the land submerged under the death water. In God's restoration and re-creation, 
or we may say further creation. And it's very important for us to spend one session together on this because this is foundational for our experience of Christ, the all-inclusive Christ typified by the good land. And I want to read verses 1 through 3 and then 9 through 13 from Genesis 1. So we all have freshly in front of us this part of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But, but the earth became waste and emptiness. And darkness was on the surface of the deep. This was God's judgment on the enemy and his rebellion and the angels who followed him and the beings that were living on the earth in the pre-Adamic age, probably tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of years ago. We don't know and we're not told. And the Spirit of God was brooding upon the surface of the waters. Now the recovery begins. The restoration begins. The further creation, the recreation starts. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then we go to verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout grass. Herbs yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind, with their seed in them upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, herbs yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with their seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, a third day, day of resurrection. Of course, in a conference like this, we're not going to study these verses from this centuries-long ongoing argument about how old the creation is and how did God create it and we just know God created everything in the beginning. There was a rebellion that brought in death and darkness. And then there was the recovery. 
And we are now focusing on one aspect with its spiritual significance of that recovery and recreation that is the dry land being separated from the death waters. And right at the very beginning of this part of the message, I want to point out, right now, every one of us, no matter what our circumstances are, what part of the earth we're living in, our age, whatever it is, as believers in Christ Jesus, blessed with the central vision brought to us by the ministry and the minister of the age, we are on dry land. We are holding this conference on dry land, but we are surrounded by death waters. And some of us that are older and let's say, you know, 60, up to where I am and beyond where I am, who have maybe spent almost their whole life or even their whole life in this country. We have never seen such violence, chaos, lawlessness, inhumanity, violence, lies, just spread through the mainstream medias and by so many politicians. We need dry land. We need to know Christ as the dry land. And our knowing him and our being in him and experiencing Christ being in us, we have a basis to advance on this dry land to a portion of it signified by the land of Canaan. So this is part of the basic thought and burden and feeling in this message. I say again, even as I speak, I'm in the body, supplied by the body, protected by the armor that's in the body. But I realize not far away are the death waters. But I do not live in fear and you should not live in fear of what is surrounding us. We are on dry land. We are one with the resurrected Christ, out from whom every aspect of life for our experience and growth in life comes forth. Okay, Roman 1. God's restoration and recreation, the waters under the heavens were gathered together and the dry land appeared. So even now, God will not allow the waters of death to engulf all of us or all the churches. He will always limit on our part. We need to stay standing on the dry land. 
Dividing the land from the water signifies separating life from death. And my dear brothers and sisters, how we all need this. How the young people need this. They're young. They're young. And let them be young. I'm talking especially about teenagers. They may not realize the battle going on between death and life, between light and darkness, between real and false, between truth and lies. And there are times in our praying, especially with vital companions, can release powerful prayers, group prayer meetings. We need to pray for their protection. Lord, show them the difference between life and death. Save them from those things the enemy uses to bury them under the waters of death. We will not be passive. Lord, raise up another generation that will live their whole life on dry land. Be in the Bible, the sea represents death. Represents death. And the dry land, the third day, represents the resurrected Christ. The resurrection life of Christ. Recently, I received an email from a saint that was seriously concerned that they might have contracted uh, a disease and waiting for the results from the test and didn't know what to do, how to pray. Would you pray? I, I responded immediately. I just said, praying. Then I wrote, resurrection prevails. Resurrection life prevails. The waters, the death waters, do not prevail. They will not prevail in my life or in your life, in the church where I meet or in your local church. We are dry land people. And now let's see why and how. The sea is the result of the waters of judgment, which God used to judge the pre-Adamic world. And the day is coming when the sovereign God, righteous, holy, wise, with all authority, will judge all the death waters, And all those ungodly people who were channels of the death waters, that will come. A, the work of God's recreation was to recover the land by restricting the result of the waters of judgment. And so even in the life of any saint who has for whatever reason, 
has been kind of swept away for a period of time. The Lord will recover by restricting the death waters. And he knows how to do this. Of course he does. He's God. And he has a wise way of using our circumstances. Often things that we wish didn't happen. But their effect is restricting the effect of death on us. Isn't that an act of love for our God to do such a thing? Be the living creatures of the pre-Adamic world, after being judged by the waters, became the sea's inhabitants, the demons. This we have reason to believe. This is the source where the demons come from that are just exceedingly active. We believe this is the source. From those who lived in the pre-Adamic world were judged, became the inhabitants of the death waters. But this is not a central matter of the faith. So I'm not going to dispute. I'm not going to argue to defend. We're just sharing what our understanding is. See, after these inhabitants have been dealt with by Christ and his believers, the sea has given them up to the judgment of the great white throne. The sea will not be needed. It's coming. The final enemy, the last enemy that we are fighting against in Christ is death. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says, the last enemy is death. And at the judgment of the great white throne, mentioned in Revelation 20, which will take place after the age of the kingdom. So the length of this age remaining, plus a thousand years. Then every negative thing in the history of the universe will be judged and death will be abolished. It will be cast into what is called the lake of fire. D, since the work of God's recreation, God's intention has been to abolish the sea by dealing with Satan and his demons. I can just make a kind of sidebar comment. This is something we might touch upon in message five. But the Lord needs maturing saints, experienced saints, to know how to fight and deal with Satan and his demons. How can the Lord end this age and have a significant number of overcomers produced by him? If there have not been those produced as overcomers now in this age who are learning in the body 
to deal with Satan, the demons, the death waters. This is something we learn. On the Wednesday night ministry meeting, which has resumed. And the subject, the general subject, will be for both the fall term and the spring term in 2022. And it's on chapters 5 through 8 in Romans as the kernel, the kernel of the Bible. And the underlying thought of these five chapters is there are two lines, life and death, life and death. We need to know the details concerning these lines from the ministry and from the present speaking based upon the ministry and the word of God so that we will be able to deal with the death waters. The Lord said in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. That's the death waters trying to flood. Sadly, like the waters that were flooding the Northeast, totally unexpected. Those were death waters. That's a picture. The Lord needs saints who not only know about the good land, but are living in the all-inclusive Christ. And not only enjoying pomegranates and figs, They have stone for building. They have iron for weapons. They're equipped for war. Then point E in this quote, the sea is no more. I wondered why is that mentioned in Revelation 21? The sea is no more. And then there's a new heaven and the new earth. Oh, we need to see even beyond this age, beyond the kingdom age, we're going to live forever on the earth where there's no sea, no death. This indicates that Satan and his evil followers will all be dealt with and will not be found in the new heaven and new earth. So this is the background of God's recovery. There's a a sense in which we can say the Lord's recovery from a universal perspective started in Genesis 1 verse 2b. The spirit brooding over the waters and then light shining and then God recovering, and recreating until he has on the earth human beings, man and woman, male and female, in his image, representing him. Three, the Bible, in the Bible, the land is a figure, a symbol of Christ. 
and represents Christ as the generating source of life. So what I'm saying here is that the dry land that was separated from the waters, that is a figure, or we may say a symbol or a type of Christ. The dry land signifies Christ. I'm so glad this was open to us by the life study of Genesis. And here, this represents Christ as the generating source of life. What life was there before the dry land? This is the resurrected Christ who is the generating source of life. And as I am speaking this, and as you are listening to this, Christ as the dry land is generating life in you. It's evening evening time around 8.13 or 14, your time. I'm behind. And I don't believe this day was a day of vanity for you, a wasted day. I believe to some extent it was a dry land day. It was a life-generating day. Because I say again, in the midst of what is taking place in our environment and in the midst of what is taking place in our own physical body and our soul, at the deepest part, there's the spirit, the regenerated spirit we know from Romans 8.10, the spirit is Zoe, it's life. And Christ signified by the dry land is in our spirit as the life-giving spirit right now. We're not talking theory here. And he is the generating source of life. And every day from beginning to end, he wants to generate more and more life. For our growth in life. For our being saved in life. Romans 5.10. For our learning to reign in life. Romans 5.17. For us gathering in life. Doing everything in life. A. The appearing of the dry land in Genesis 1. 9 and 10. Is a requirement. Requirement for generating life. And now, as I'm sharing this with you, there's this sense, and only the Lord knows, I don't know, I can't know, and I don't want to know, but there are some here 
who need to allow the dry land in you to come to the surface. And one way to do this is just stop. Maybe it's just for three to five minutes. Just stop. Even stop your way of praying. Even stop your way of talking to the Lord. Just for a short time. And just be open to him and pray. Lord, cause the dry land to appear in me. I need the generating source of life today. I'm not able to generate anything. Only you can. Would it be more accurate? I cannot generate the life of God. I can just generate something of my natural life. And so the appearing of the dry land is a requirement for the generating life. This is not only something that happened in Genesis. It happens all the time or needs to happen. Let Christ as the dry land appear. Let him into your mind, in your heart, please. Don't let so many other things dominate your feeling, your thoughts. Let the resurrected Christ, the dry land, appear. You become aware. He's in me. The resurrected Christ is in me. I'm just opening to him, and he generates life. Just what you need. Right here and now. This took place on the third day. Corresponding to the day of resurrection. So it's the resurrected Christ who is dwelling in you right now. Be the land that came out of the death water on the third day is a type of the resurrected Christ who came out of death on the third day. To momentarily take a leap into the future based upon the book of Revelation. The New Jerusalem, the wife, the bride of the Lamb, is a corporate person. And she, the counterpart of the redeeming God, is totally constituted with resurrection life. Every part of her being is now saturated with resurrection life. These are the overcomers. So in this present age, these believers learned to exercise their spirit, which is life. So then life can spread and saturate their mind, their emotion, and their will. So as Paul says in Romans 8, the mind set on the spirit is life. And we know from Romans 8, 11, although our body remains a body of death, that verse says the spirit of the one 
who raised Christ Jesus from the dead and dwells in you. He will impart life to your mortal body. So we are on the in the process of becoming resurrection people. And during our sojourn on earth, our body will not become life, but it will be sustained by resurrection life. But it should be a personal goal for every one of us to want to be permeated and saturated with resurrection life in all of our inward parts like the lover in Song of Songs. So in chapter 8, she just longs to be transfigured. Just long to be released from this body. And the time will come, our body will be life. It will be transfigured. But not during our sojourning on the earth. This is the resurrected Christ. And resurrection means, and resurrection life means a life that experiences death and pass through death, conquer death, and emerge victorious over death. That's Revelation 1. The Lord told John, don't be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead, but I'm living. I'm living forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades. The death waters conquering resurrected Christ is in us. No matter if you are 12 years old, 15 years old, You've been regenerated. The resurrected Christ is in you. You're not too young to begin to experiencing the dry land Christ, the resurrected Christ. See, after the land appeared, every kind of life, the plant life, the animal life, and even the human life, was produced out of the land. This typifies that the divine life, with all its riches, comes out of Christ. Actually, this dry land is, in a very real sense, the all-inclusive Christ. So there is nothing, no routine, Same day, every way. No. Every day is fresh, new. I'm talking about the days of our human living. And the resurrected Christ wants to generate life this way today. Life in that matter today. To lead you to experience Christ in this way. To enjoy him in that way. He knows what every day will bring. And he wants us to begin the day 
with allowing the dry land to surface, to be the light that's raining in us. And everything comes out of this. This is the only source. So the divine life, with all its riches, none of us knows all the riches of the divine life. It's just not possible for any individual. But it's the body that eventually will know the dimensions, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Immeasurable, inexhaustible, trying God as life. And he has the abundant grace, superabounding life supply for us at every moment of the day, in every situation. Heart-rending situations, disappointing situations, painful situations, or happy and pleasant situations. That's why Paul could say, I learned. I learned how to abound and how to suffer loss. In Philippians 4, he said, I know how to be in every situation. Now I'm in prison. I'm a prisoner. I'm chained. But I'm here in Christ. I'm a prisoner in Christ. If he were giving this message, he might say, the dry land was generating life for me as a prisoner. I didn't need that aspect of life when I wasn't a prisoner, although I did need it when I was floating around in the sea all night long one time. The fourth time I was in a shipwreck, I really needed life then. I hope this is beginning to dawn on you, to enlighten you. What a Christ we have, the light-generating, resurrected Christ. D, the plant life, is the lowest form of life. A life without consciousness. Corresponding to the earliest stage of the divine life in a newly regenerated believer. So you're you're caring for a young one. who just got baptized last May. Now they're in junior high or middle school, whatever it is, seventh grade. And you want to help the plant life, the basic life, grow. And so you know from the life generated in you how to minister plant life typifying just this very basic aspect the earliest stage to a newly generated believer. Every parent does this with a newborn and they just care for the child stage by stage. And our beloved Father God does the same with us. And now too, the trees, the flowers, And the grains as food and as offering to God 
are all types of Christ. And remember in Genesis, when the first man eventually joined by his counterpart, his wife, where did God put them? In what I would call paradise garden. This paradise. In that, here he is, in the most pleasant place, so many trees. And God said, they're pleasant to the sight. Why did God create trees that are so pleasant to the sight? And the fruit on all of the trees except one were so nourishing and refreshing. The trees were pleasant to their sight. What does this indicate? I'll say this in a very simple way. Some of you that are younger may be surprised. Some of you that are much older, that have gone through so many things, may at first find this a little hard to take in. But here it is. God wants you to be happy in him. He wants you to be joyful in him. And the resurrected Christ, the dry land, the generating source of life, the more he generates life and the more we allow this generated life to fill our whole being we will discover more and more joy it's in Nehemiah I think it might be chapter 8 we're told the joy of the Lord is your strength And I'm looking to the Lord on behalf of the Lord that there will be more brothers and sisters among us who can testify that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know what I just passed through. You know. I'm not here to tell you the story. My portion with you in this meeting is to testify that the joy of the Lord was my strength. And while I was in the most difficult part of that whole event, which went on for months of loss and sorrow and grief, and pain, and loneliness. There was 
of life supply emerging that I've never known before, not in this way. And I would use this language from this message. That's the dry land. The resurrected Christ dwelling in us from our spirit flowing, surrounded by our soul with its complications and our bodies of sin and death and all the other things that go on in them. Here we are. All things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, and we can say, in the midst of heartache, I love God. I not only love the Lord Jesus, I love God. And I don't understand my own life. But one thing I know, God is causing all things to work together for good. Because I love him and I've been called according to his purpose. I'm living here for his purpose. And then there's not only the testimony. There will be marvelous praise offered to the Lord. And precious worship presented to the Father. Lord, I thank you for generating such life, such joy in me. I praise you. You are truly the resurrected Christ. Lord, I exalt you. You are resurrection life. And you generate life. And Father, I now worship you with the Christ developed in me through this situation under your wisdom. And I bring this Christ to you as my offering. My free will offering. Not just offerings that solved all of my problems and failures, for which I thank you deeply. But it's a free will offering. I offer this for your enjoyment, for your happiness. The very fact that in the garden, for all these trees, pleasant to the sight. And humanly, whether it's outwardly or inwardly, we need what's pleasant to our sight. And the enemy knows. That is why he wants to lure us to things that are pleasant in a fallen way. But now we know from 2 Corinthians 3.18, we can look in another direction. Behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. And we know from the next chapter, the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, here I am. 
And I know what this means. I'm lying in a hospital bed. Nobody knows yet the cause of the situation. I don't know if I will walk out alive. But Lord, one, one thing I know is you're wonderful. And I just lie here gazing on you. This is real, dear saints. This is not shallow spiritual talk. This is real. And I'm a learner. And I learned a lot from one particular saint. That is Sister Lee, the wife of Brother Lee. Who surely passed through so many dark valleys with her suffering husband. But I've never known a more joyful person in my whole life. And one night on the late Lord's Day, early night on the Lord's Day evening, I just went outside the front door to do something practical. And she and another sister came out of the house next door. And she just greeted me with a smile. And the joy radiating from her ministered life to me. What an encouragement. I had no thought before this message began to speak so much about the trees, the flowers, and the trees that are pleasant to the sight. But God created them because he wanted the man to be created to live in paradise. It was sin and death entering in that made it necessary for him to leave. But now we're not going to go backwards to paradise. We're going on to a much more glorious paradise ahead of us. But still, I just want to stay here for another minute or two. And I say this, and may the spirit bear witness, because I love you, all of you. And I know that many of you, you have maybe the first two of three parts of Romans 14, 13. The kingdom of God is righteousness, you say. Amen. I really care for my conscience. My conscience is at peace. Christ is my righteousness. And I have peace. And for many years, I just stopped there at peace. But what does the rest of the verse say? And joy in the Holy Spirit, the joy. The joy is the strongest indicator that you are really one with the Lord and are allowing the dry land resurrected Christ to emerge don't confine him. You open your whole being to him. And then he generates. And he knows. He's the shepherd of your soul. He knows. He cares. 
He knows your feeling. He knows your need. And so he generates joy, happiness, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That was Peter's word in a very serious epistle, 1 Peter, on the Christian life under the government of God. And he was about to shepherd all these suffering saints in many places. They're all suffering. And he knew that would continue because that was the governmental dealing for their salvation and perfection. But I just love that verse, like so many of you. First Peter 1, I think it's verse 8. Whom having not seen, we love. And whom, again, we haven't seen, but we believe. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. My dear saints, when will this return to us in the Lord's recovery? Joy unspeakable. The music of that may be rising up in some hearts. It's, I don't want to sing it. I want to spare you that. Something less than joyful musical sound. This joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is what the dry land Christ produces in us. No wonder and maybe 40 times in the message I refer to this, that it's always fresh. From the time he was saved until the end of his journey, Brother just suffered this all the time. And with the health condition he was in, he was put in confinement for 20 years. And in an indirect way, he could communicate to us through a note or a letter to a family member. I have maintained my joy. What a testimony. What a way to finish the course. It is the generating Christ. It's not something we try to generate. Ephesians, Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit. You remember what is the first fruit? The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy. Love. Joy. Is what would happen in our lives personally, in our married life, in our family life, in our church life. If we allowed Christ, the resurrected Christ as the generating source to produce, spiritually speaking, beautiful trees, pleasant trees, all of this is inward. No immediate change in our situation, 
or even in our physical condition, but inwardly. It's so pleasant. This is the dried land Christ. When we are in the all-inclusive Christ, there will be innumerable aspects of, of this Christ, not just the joy. There's every positive thing is ours to experience and enjoy. And so, there are the flowers, the grains as food, all types of Christ. And now, I'll be finished probably in five minutes unless I'm surprised by the indwelling spirit and have the leading to say a little more. But I think we're nearing the end. Point four. Christ the source of all kinds of life came out of death and resurrection to generate life for the constituting of the church. So now we're taking a step from our personal experience and enjoyment because the goal had always been from the beginning a corporate expression of God in Christ through the church. So Christ is the source of all kinds of life. He came out of death. He entered into resurrection to generate life for the constituting of the church. And now I'm just illustrating. I'm going to name a couple of places just as illustrations. I don't know anything about the condition. In Atlanta. In Jacksonville. In Miami. In Fort Myers. In Tallahassee. This generating life. Christ is looking for the opportunity to generate life for the church where you are. And the Lord needs brothers and sisters whenever they meet with one other saint, a companion, a genuine vital group, a group meeting in a home, having some kind of corporate meeting on Zoom, the day will come when this enemy attack on the whole recovery. He is behind this pandemic, not just to attack human beings. He's attacking the whole recovery. And God in Christ will defeat this enemy attacking through the dry land Christ rising up in us, the resurrection life constituting the church. COVID-19 doesn't reign. Life reigns. Satan is not the victor. Christ is the victor. 
And when we can gather together again and have a few thousand in the ministry conference center for the semi-annual trainings, whenever, there will be more life, more Christ, more enjoyment than we've ever known corporately before. Because this dry land Christ is generating life for the building up of the church. In his resurrection, Christ is the son of God designated in power. The firstborn son of God. A resurrected man with a spiritual body of flesh and bones. The life-giving spirit. The Lord's spirit. And Christ in the believers. What a definition, a description of the resurrected Christ. Who is at the very core of the church. Wherever you are. He is the core. And there is in the church where you are corporately. This dry land Christ. Let us learn that everything we pray, everything we sing, everything we say in a meeting opens the way for the dry land Christ to generate life. No more natural prayers that are not prayers. Prophecies that are not really prophecies. We just need life to saturate us so that every time we open our mouth, Or even if we're silent, it'll be our countenance that will testify that we have been experiencing the generating life Christ. This was a hard week, difficult time. We're tired physically, but inwardly we're not. Because the resurrected Christ, once again, was a generating source of life. Not just in me, oh, but let's say 125 meet together. What a meeting. And the life generated in us now flows. And the last point. By his work in resurrection, Christ germinated a new creation. Caused his believers to be regenerated by God. Produced many grains for his multiplication and glorification. Rebuilt God's temple, making it a corporate one. And brought forth the corporate child, the corporate new man, including Christ himself as God's firstborn son. And his many brothers as God's many sons. What a definition of what he is and what he did in his resurrection but we end in simplicity I think you can see now why I had the leading to begin with the Christ typified by the dry land the generating source of life everything comes out of him and eventually this Christ is going to lead us to himself as the all-inclusive Christ typified by the land of Canaan. And each one of us will have our allotted portion, but together we will be here. And we will have experiences personally and corporately. 
beyond anything we've ever known, no matter how long we've been here. Our future is bright and glorious. Let's press on and let's press on by right now as you will be directed to go to various meetings. Let the dry land Christ emerge in you and generate life in all the meetings. Next time I see you live, 24 hours or so from now, there'll be more life in us all. Amen.